So this series, this is week number four. Uh, again, you go on the website if you missed any of them. The Armor of God, this will be, uh, this is a seven-part series on spiritual warfare. Uh, so we have the 8th and the 15th, well, 8th, 15th, 22nd. So the next three, one, next three will end on the 22nd. And we'll do a traditional uh, Christmas Eve service uh, here, in the, um, here in the dance studio. And so invite some friends out uh, for that. So we've been talking about um, Satan and the spiritual warfare and the things uh, that he does, his schemes and plans and all of his uh, little helpers and the armor that we have as believers that helps us to stay in the battle and helps us to win the battle. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so we talked about that last week. Uh, we are righteous uh, because of Jesus and that breastplate of righteousness. Uh, it was uh, protected you in the front. You could see what's coming, also protect you in the back uh, for what you could not see uh, coming. And Paul, uh, you know, Rome was at its peak in the day uh, of Jesus and the day of the apostle Paul. And so Paul is likening uh, this analogy to these, these Roman, uh, Roman soldiers and the, uh, the equipment that they, that they wore. And last week we talked about uh, taking the good news, which is the gospel message, uh, down the road. And scripture reminds us how beautiful are the feet of those who bring uh, that good news. Everybody likes to hear good news, uh, that's for sure. And so for believers, we have peace uh, uh, because of Christ and because of his work in our lives. And Jesus was always out to comfort uh, hurting hearts. He says in John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and uh, do not be afraid. And so in the New Testament, when you would say goodbye, they would say, you know, peace or peace be with you. And in Hebrew, it was, it was uh, shalom. It was like a, a deep, loving uh, peace that you would depart uh, when you were uh, leaving someone's, uh, someone's company. And so there's a lot of fears out there in the world and, if, and the world desires peace. And we, we have a, an inner peace that the world does not understand. They desire it, uh, but they just don't understand it. Until God opens up their eyes, um, they, won't, they won't get it. Uh, you know, that spiritual blindness is there, but they're desiring to have that peace. And so our key verse for today's uh, message is Ephesians six seventeen: Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And so, again, that spiritual battle and the only offensive weapon that you have is God's word. Everything else is a defensive weapon. So Philippians 4 gives us that peace, right? Philippians 4, 7, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so this is the peace that we have as believers uh, because of our salvation in Christ and the fact that God uh, knows everything. Go to, go to Ephesians uh, chapter 1, or you can follow up on the, on the big screen there. Uh, each one of us is important uh, to God, and God wants to bring all people back to him, all men are separated from God because of, because of sin, and he has a desire uh, that none should, none should um, uh, suffer, but all would come uh, to repentance. Hebrews 2.3 says, how shall we escape if we ignored so great a salvation? And so this salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. And so it's a great salvation. How can it be ignored? So I want to talk about salvation, God the Father's role in salvation, God the Holy Spirit's role, and God the Son's role. And so God the Father's uh, contribution, 
Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual uh, blessing in Christ. And there's your first answer on your insert. And so God the Father has blessed us uh, in the heavenly realms. Ephesians 6.12 reminds us uh, about the heavenly realms and that there's a supernatural battle that is going on there. Um, The blessing for us, though, is, of course, uh, of Christ. And we are in the battle uh, because of our love for him and our call to share the good news that Jesus Christ died uh, for the sins of the world. Now, in Ephesus, Paul runs into a problem. Um, He's leading people to Christ, and he's putting the uh, silversmith uh, union out of business, and they're starting a riot there, and they worship this goddess uh, Artemis. And it's interesting, in Ephesus, um, it's probably a meteorite. I think it's still there, and it was uh, they built this temple next to us. They believed that this goddess fell from the sky to Ephesus and they were worshiping this meteorite and there in, in Ephesus. And so anyway, Paul's leading people to the Lord. Uh, they're losing a lot of money. Paul gets beat up, gets thrown in prison uh, simply for doing what God's called him, called him to do. But Ephesians, in the book of Ephesians, it reminds us of, uh, of as believers of God's blessings. Number one, when were we blessed? Eternity passed, right? I knew you uh, before you were formed in the womb, uh, Psalm 139 says, with what every spiritual blessing is available to us. And where is that? In the heavenly realms. And how? Because of Christ, because we are in Christ. And so that's the truth that we have. Um, God is encouraging us over and over in his word not to give up. Don't give up. Just keep pressing on. The battle's already won. You got to be in the battle and you have to be in God's word uh, to understand what's going on in that battle and always remembering God's track record, even when we feel like our backs are against the wall and uh, we don't have a chance. You know, just like the Israelites, they got all the way backed up to the Red Sea there. And now what are we going to do? Here comes the Egyptian army. There's the Red Sea. Moses, it's your fault. What are we going to do? And Moses says, stand back and watch the hand of Almighty God. You know the story. Uh, the Red Sea opened up there and uh, they went across on dry ground. The Egyptians came and uh, they had a rough time. Um, secondly, God the Father chose us before the creation of the world. And so before the universe was created, God looks down the corridor of time and says, you're going to be my child, and I have a plan, and I have a purpose for you. Uh, Satan whispers lies into your conscience all the time. God doesn't love you. You're never going to amount to anything. Um, you know, he, you, you can't measure up, and God can't use you. But the truth is, uh, God has a plan. God has a purpose. When we get ourselves uh, into trouble, all he's asking for is repentance, and we get back on track, and, and just, you just keep going. And so believers are blessed because of God the Father and his choosing. Second Thessalonians 2 says this, But we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters loved by the Lord, because God chose you as first fruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief uh, in the truth. And so through the sanctifying uh, work of the Holy Spirit, through belief in the truth, uh, the Holy Spirit's work and man's responsibility to have faith Uh, are equally necessary for salvation. And so your third one there is God the Father acted in accordance with his good pleasure uh, and will. And so he has a plan, he has a purpose, and part of our purpose is to glorify God and to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and all of our spirit and all all of our strength. Therefore, God the Father was delighted to impart spiritual benefits to his children. Now, God the Son's contribution 
Ephesians 1.6, to the praise of His glorious grace, which He has freely given us in the one uh, He loves. And so God the Son became a freely given gift. And you know the, the story, God sent His only begotten Son, and that, uh, you know, that none should perish, but all have eternal life. You know, John 3.16 is the crux of Scripture, and that's why all the sports games, you see people holding up, uh, holding up that sign and, um, you know, putting it on their shirts and whatnot, hoping that I guess people will go uh, and read it. But the best thing to do is to memorize as much Scripture as you can and share those Scripture uh, with folks. Once you pull a Bible out, people get a little, they get a little nervous. Uh, so sometimes, you remember the guy that was the mafia guy that uh, got saved and he had uh, a series of questions um, and he'll say, you'll know within the first, after the third question, whether this person is, God's working in this person's heart. So you'd say, um, you know, do you believe in heaven? Do you believe in hell? And if everything you believed about the Bible was wrong, would you want to know? And if they say yes, then you continue on with these series of questions. If they say no, you just walk away, which I always had a hard time doing. But the guy led thousands of people to the Lord uh, with his one-on-one evangelism, and he kept one of the little, uh, little Gideon's Bibles in his pocket. I can't remember his name. It's going to come to me probably in an hour after, an hour after I leave. But that's the crux. Uh, you know, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever, whosoever, so it's for whosoever, whosoever shall believe, uh, shall have eternal life. And so your second point there, uh, Jesus shed his blood to do what? To redeem us, because we could not redeem ourselves. Ephesians 1, 7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. And it's always about God's grace. I remind folks about this over and over again. God can't love you any more, any less, by what you do or what you don't do. I like to give different examples um, in Scripture of God's grace. You know, the Apostle Paul, Damascus Road experience. So some people will say, you know, I've done too many bad things. God can't uh, forgive me and so on and so forth. So you can give them the example of the Apostle Paul. Uh, and I would say to him, have you killed any Christians? No. Okay. And you tell him about Paul and he was there when they stoned Stephen, the first, uh, the first martyr. And of course he had his Damascus Road uh, experience in Acts chapter 9. But another one that people forget about is King Manasseh. King Manasseh was the longest reigning and cruelest king in the history of Israel. He ruled for 55 years. And not only was he a bad king on his own end, he was causing all the people to get involved in idolatry and get involved uh, in sin. And so they eventually get taken into, into slavery. The Bible says he gets on his knees and asks God for forgiveness. God forgives him and sends him back and puts him in the position of being king again. And so King Manasseh is a great example of God's grace, and it runs all throughout Scripture from Genesis uh, to Revelation. I love to give people uh, those examples of, of uh, God's grace. And so Jesus, of course, provided uh, that forgiveness of sin, and that's what gives us um, that eternal life, and it's all about, it's all about God's grace. Colossians 1.14 in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. And so he releases us from our debt of sin. And so when God looks at us, he no longer sees our sin. He sees the righteousness of Christ. And, he, and Isaiah says, you know, though your sin be as red as crimson, I will wash it as white as snow. Remember your sin no more. Hide it as far as the east is from the west. That's one of my favorite passages. He said, I will take your sin 
and hide it as far as the east is from the west and remember your sin no more. And when you read that in the Hebrew, it actually means that God cannot remember that sin once we put our trust in Christ and he'll bury it in the deepest sea. So, Holy Spirit, number three, the Holy Spirit's contribution in, uh, in salvation. Ephesians 1.13. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. And so God the Holy Spirit has marked you with a seal. When you come to Christ, you receive the Holy Spirit, you are sealed for redemption. And a seal uh, was used, usually it was wax uh, back in the first century, and it was used uh, to seal documents. It was used to um, uh, denote who was, whose seal that was, you know, the ownership, it identified that ownership. So if you had a document and you were a, um, like, a, like a courier, they would take this document and they would seal it with wax and this guy's ring, and then you ran the, and made that delivery. And if the seal was broke, you had a problem because that was like security. You weren't supposed to read that. And, of course, Revelation has all those seals that get broken open and are getting read there by the... Um, by the apostle, the apostle John. And so you were sealed for redemption. Ephesians 1.14, who was a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession uh, to the praise of his glory. And so God the Holy Spirit is that deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the day of redemption. And so I know some folks believe in loss of salvation. I do not because I don't believe that you can undo something as a person that the Holy Spirit has done. So if you are sealed for the day of redemption and you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you know, when do we lose salvation? Uh, did King David lose his salvation when he did what he did with Bathsheba and, and killed her husband? And the list goes on. What, at what point do you lose um, that salvation? So the argument always is, if someone turned their back on God and walked away and then someone says, well, they lost their salvation. My thought is that they never truly received Christ. They said it with their mouth, but they didn't believe it in their heart. And there's a lot of head knowledge uh, that's out there with folks today. And so the work of the Trinity and salvation, uh, we see it there. God the Father, God the Son, uh, God the Holy Spirit taking care of your salvation. Ephesians 6, verse 17 and 18 says this. Take the helmet of salvation... And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. And again, that intercessory prayer um, that we uh, come alongside of those that are struggling, that are even sometimes too weak to pray uh, because they've got so many things going on uh, in their lives. And so salvation is found in no one else. Here's Acts 4.12. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And so now in regards to the armor of God, the analogy now is the helmet. Uh, the helmet is the last thing that they would put on because it was hot, it was uncomfortable. Uh, but when they knew um, trouble was coming, they put that helmet on. And so that's what we're supposed to remember when we see... Um, you know, trouble coming in that spiritual attack, you have to put on that helmet of salvation and be reminded of your salvation and then take up the sword of the Spirit to ward off the devil's attack. First Thessalonians 5.8 says this, But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. 
And so there it is. Put on the armor of God because there is a battle. Now go to 2 Kings and I'll give you an interesting story here. 2 Kings chapter, chapter 6. 2 Corinthians 10 says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Now here in 2 Kings, here's Elisha. Elisha was Elijah's understudy. I don't know why they make the name so close like that. It was always hard. I thought it was his son when I first started reading the Bible, but it's not. It was his understudy. Now, you know the story. Elijah was taken up in a chariot of fire, um, and that's why they always believe Elijah's going to come back. Remember Jesus on the cross, and they think he was calling Elijah, and um, Jews during uh, festivities would always even leave an empty chair at the table for Elijah to return. Anyway, Elijah goes up into a chariot of fire, and if you read the biography of Elijah and Elisha, Elisha prayed for a double portion. He said, give me a double portion of your blessing, of your spiritual power, if you will. And if you read through his entire bio uh, in the Old Testament, you'll see that he had exactly double the amount of signs, miracles, and wonders um, that Elijah had, um, had performed. And so here's a picture of the spiritual battle. It's in 2 Kings in, in chapter 6. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God. Time and again, Elisha warned the king so that he was on his guard in such places. This enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and demanded of them, tell me which of us is on the side of the king of Israel. None of us, my lord, the king, said one of his officers. But Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. Go find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. The report came back. He's in Dothan. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night, surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And they had to be looking at him and saying, there's like three of us and a couple thousand of them, however many were there. Uh, and Elisha prayed, Open his eyes, Lord, so that we may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and looked, and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So here's the picture that Elisha is seeing, and now the servants are seeing. There's a spiritual battle. It's going on. They're going after God's prophet, and the army surrounded the city, and there's chariots of fire and horses in the spiritual realm that we cannot see. But on this occasion, God opened their eyes and they saw it. And that's what goes on uh, today, not only in Old Testament time and New Testament time, but it goes on today. There is a spiritual battle um, that occurs. There was a book out. It was one of my favorite book, uh, books on, on prayer. And um, it was about the spiritual realm and the things that were going on. And the angels could not react to a situation until prayer occurred. They had to wait and wait and wait until the prayers went up, and then they had, uh, they had gone. It was This Present Darkness, right? Is that what it was called? This Present Darkness, great book on prayer, if you want to read a, a book about how, the importance of prayer. It was one of those, um, you know, just couldn't, just couldn't put down. And so anyway, here's Elisha with his, his buddies there, and, you know, he's a, he's a strong man of God, and he's reminding them of the spiritual battle, that God's in control. Don't worry about it, because God's got a plan. So... 
Go to Daniel chapter 10. Let me show you another, another example. So the Lord gave the men the ability to see this. Um, you know, they're there in the spiritual realm. Uh, from Genesis to Revelation, from the resurrection of Christ to 2019, there's a spiritual battle uh, that occurs. Now, the spiritual battle continues. There are fallen angels. They're called demons. They're called unclean spirits and a couple other things. Uh, we don't know how many there are. We know that one-third of them were kicked out. Uh, could be thousands. I, I don't know. Uh, but they have a plan and a purpose, and their plan and purpose is to thwart God's plan and purpose. We know that demons can inflict disease. They can possess men. Uh, they can possess animals. Uh, they teach false doctrine, and they seek to oppose uh, the spiritual growth of God's people. And so when we're in the battle, um, you know, things are, things are happening. So now here in, um, in Daniel, Daniel was a great man of God. He was a man of prayer. He's praying for himself. He's praying for his people. He's praying for his nation, uh, praying to, to go back home. He was taken off into captivity by the Babylonians when he was just a teenager, uh, but God found favor on him. He ended up being like, uh, just like Joseph, almost like the second ruler uh, in Babylon. And, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego also had positions of power, and there was a lot of jealousy against these individuals. But here it is, it's in Daniel 10, beginning in verse 10. A hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. He said, Daniel, you who are highly esteemed, consider carefully the words I'm about to speak to you and stand up, for I have now been sent to you. And when he said this to me, I stood up trembling. Then he continued, do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I've come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now I have to come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future for the vision concerns a time uh, yet to come. Interesting, Daniel's biography, there's not one derogatory comment uh, about, about the prophet Daniel. And so the prince of this Persian kingdom is a, uh, an evil spirit and a very strong one, uh, according to this passage. So Daniel's praying, the answer was given immediately, and so the angel's coming to give him the answer, and he's fighting in the spiritual realm with this uh, prince of the Persian kingdom, uh, which we know today as Iran, for 21 days until somebody came to help him so he can get that message to him. And so these are some of the things that are going on. And so when prayer occurs, God's sending help and God's sending help. And so there's a hierarchy in the angelic world. There's, there's angels, uh, you know, you got Michael the archangel and you got Gabriel's an angel and there's other angels. And in the demonic world is the same thing. Some demons are stronger than others. And I don't know if Satan puts certain ones in different positions of, uh, of, um, of power, uh, but they have a plan and have a purpose. Now, Jack Kreidler uh, was one of my mentors uh, years ago, and Jack um, was involved in doing a lot of exorcisms. And he would tell these stories. We'd be in India at night, and he's telling these exorcism stories. And I'm like, somebody want to share my room with me? Because he's telling these crazy stories. And, I'm, and so I'm like, well, you know, what do they say? He said, they all have a plan and a purpose. There is a murder demon, there's a drug demon, there's a sex demon. And he said, when you're doing an exorcism, and usually there's more, there's several in uh, an individual, the weaker ones come out first. You know, the bigger ones are kind of pushing them. He said, for some reason, they want to be in people or animals. And so he's having this conversation with... Um, 
you know, these, uh, these demonic forces, if you will. And, but here it is again in Ephesians 6.12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil uh, in the heavenly realm. And so the battle between Gabriel and this demon of, uh, of Persia went on for three weeks until uh, he got some assistance. And uh, I guarantee you that demon, that prince of Persia is still there, is still there. Now demons are more prevalent where they are worshipped. And Paul says, if you're not worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ, you are worshiping demons and you don't want to participate in the worship of demons. That's what they want. Satan wants to be worshiped. God will not share his worship. You see it over and over uh, in scripture. And so <clears throat> the spiritual conflict goes on. You see that in, uh, in Second Kings. You see it in Daniel. Uh, and it goes over and over again. We are reminded that there is a spiritual battle uh, that is going on. And when you get involved in the spiritual battle, you know, things begin to happen, but you have to be in prayer. Uh, you need to be in God's, God's word, and uh, sometimes it gets, uh, it gets exhausting. And so we have to remember the enemy, remember uh, that there are fallen angels. And one thing that I'm watching on some of the web, on the uh, news sites, first thing I do in the morning, I get up, I read uh, some of these news stories, and I'm seeing more and more discussion about what stuff, stuff is going on in the spiritual realm. And this is secular news. They're talking about exorcisms. They're talking about um, the cults, the rise of the, uh, uh, the satanic uh, cults, and, and, you know, and the list goes on. Uh, so we're, we, we should be in prayer about the spiritual battle. Um, get in the spiritual battle if you're not in it because the fight's for souls. And uh, that's what God wants us to be involved with. So there's a battle. Remember who it is against. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you, Lord, and thank you again uh, for the opportunity to look into your word. And Father, I pray that you would give us opportunities uh, to be in that spiritual battle, opportunities uh, to lead men, women, boys, and girls to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray that uh, you would open up our eyes to those whose hearts you are working in. We just thank you for all the blessings that we receive and as we uh, celebrated this Thanksgiving week. Father, help us to be thankful uh, on a daily basis. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.